Hello everyone, welcome, good morning Vintage Church or good afternoon depending on when you're joining us. Um, my name is Johnny, I am the Family Ministries Director here at Vintage Church and I get to bring the word this morning. I preach about a billion times a week for our youth, they've heard me, they're sick of me, they're tired of me and it's my first time getting to preach here for the adults on Sundays. So I'm really excited to get to bring the word this morning. I feel like we have a great one as we've been moving through the book of Matthew over the last few weeks. We're now into Matthew chapter 21, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a word out of that. So this morning, I actually want to start with, we're going to do a little word study, and then I'm going to go in and I'm going to tell you about the first time I ever got my heart broken at 14 years old, and then we're going to end and we're going to talk about how in the midst of suffering, we can actually find room, light, and hope for thankfulness, which is fitting seeing as we just had Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful time with your families, but let's jump in. Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV translation because that's a translation I have in my Bible. So let's get it started. Matthew 21 verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and they came to Bethage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now this story, this is obviously the triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday. We usually get this topic, we get this passage, we preach on it once a year. Every year, the Sunday right before Easter. Here we are, we're getting it at the end of November. This is a passage you probably know if you've been around church for any amount of time, and maybe you're hearing it for the first time. This is Jesus going in. It's the week before he's going to, it's the week of his crucifixion, and he's coming into the city of Jerusalem. It's going to be the festival of Passover, and he's coming in, and we get this incredible moment where this prophecy, the prophecies from the Old Testament are starting to be fulfilled with Jesus riding on this donkey. He pulls this amazing, like, like you see in like cop shows when they have to like commandeer a vehicle and they show their badge he does this like amazing like the lord needs this donkey and the owner has to be like yeah cool you you go right ahead grabs this donkey parades into the city and they throw this kind of parade where they lay down their cloaks and they wave palm branches and they shout at him hosanna in the highest hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the lord and whenever I read this passage, the word that sticks out to me is Hosanna, because it's the only word in this passage that they don't translate into English. 
this whole thing's written in Greek and Aramaic and they had translated it into English for us. And then what we get is this one word, Hosanna, gets left and we have to, apparently as, as non-scholars of the word, our regular pedestrian people like you and me, we're sitting here going, yeah, I don't know what Hosanna means, but that's cool that they're yelling it at Jesus, I guess. It reminds me of another word in scripture, similar, hallelujah. It's another one of the Christian word that gets thrown around. It's another one that in scripture doesn't seem to get translated. And we have these words, hallelujah, hosanna, that apparently are some kind of praise word we can pick up from context clues of like, I think it's a good thing if someone yells that at you. But other than that, we're left struggling. And maybe you're even thinking, yeah, I don't know the difference between Hosanna and Hallelujah. If you've been around church at all, you probably hear these words. They pop up in our worship songs a lot. And you go, yeah, I mean, I'll, sweet, I'll say that. But what exactly am I saying? Um, I've been there. So I did a little bit of research and kind of got to the bottom of, okay, Hosanna, Hallelujah, what do they mean? Are they... Are they, this, are, they sim are they like English equivalents of like woo-hoo and hooray or just some kind of like those like ambiguous yell that doesn't mean anything other than like great, awesome, good job, yay. Does it mean anything else? So this is research. Hallelujah. Hallelujah as a word means it's kind of that victory is here, all out celebration. Think hallelujah, it's a yell of praise, excitement, victory, it's finished, it's over, we've won, we can party. Hallelujah is this like, I'm in the end zone after the final whistle, confetti is falling, music is blaring, and some TV reporter's coming up to me going, what's next? And I'm like, I'm going to Disney World, baby. That's hallelujah, right? It is the everything in the world is good. Everything is great, and all I need to do is celebrate. For an another image would be, if you've ever watched Formula One, I'm from Europe originally, from England, and I don't know about NASCAR, but I know at Formula One, after a race, you have the three drivers that finished on the podium, first, second, and third. They each get given these magnum, huge bottles of champagne. And when they win, they get on the podium and they shake up these bottles of champagne and then they just blast them at each other like a super soaker water fight, but with expensive champagne. That's hallelujah. This moment of like, we're popping bottles, the victory's here, Let's go nuts, victory parade. Hosanna is a little different. Hosanna, yeah, now in this passage, we have a parade and we have people yelling Hosanna. And maybe you're like, sweet, so it's just what woohoo is to hooray, Hosanna is to hallelujah? Not quite. We actually see this word elsewhere in scripture. If we actually go back, this word is used in Psalm 118, verse 25. We get the word Hosanna is used. Only you probably missed it if you've ever read Psalm 118, because in this instance, they translate it from the Hebrew into English. So you might miss it. But we have in Psalm 118, verse 25 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. The word Hosanna is occurring here, but it's being translated. 
or the Hebrew equivalent of Hosanna. So it's in here, verse 25 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Right there, that save us, we pray, that's Hosanna. That the Hosanna isn't this like, woohoo, everything's great, let's party, let's pop bottle of champagne, I'm going to Disney World. Hosanna, actually, more commonly when it's used, is used as a plea for help. It is a, I'm on my knees begging, begging for salvation, begging for rescue, begging and pleading for breakthrough. In Psalm 118, Hosanna says, save us, we pray, O Lord. But then you have it being used in Matthew 21 that we've read that we have Jesus. He's going through the middle of the city and he has people on all sides waving branches and they're yelling and they're yelling Hosanna, which is interesting. They're yelling at him, hey, save us, save us. But they're using it almost in a happy context rather than the more sad, dark context that it seems more appropriate for, which is where Hosanna in Matthew chapter 21, in this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it's starting to take on a new meaning. This word that's normally just used to say, hey, save us, is now being used in celebration to the one they're seeing as their savior. It's taking on this, the word starts to take on this tension, starts to take on this almost paradoxical nature where Hosanna is saying, we need saving, and the Savior is here, and it's saying everything's not great, but it will be, and it's saying that we're, we're behind right now, we're losing right now, but I can actually see the victory point is turning. This moment where Jesus comes into the city and they yell Hosanna at him, you have to remember, this is uh, the, the, the Jewish people at this time are being conquered by an occupying force. You actually have that the Romans have conquered their land and are ruling over them and changing their way of life. And that you have that they are genuinely a people who are like, yo, we need saving from an actual military force. And then when they see Jesus coming into the city, that's when they start to yell, Hosanna, we need saving and the savior is actually here. This word Hosanna, you can start to see the tension. If, if hallelujah is confetti from the ceiling, if it is, yo, we've won, Super Bowl's over, we've done it, Hosanna is maybe more like the running back, to use a football analogy, like the running back has broken through the defensive line and he's got nothing but green grass ahead of him. You're, the scoreboard, you're down. But man, you're running through and the end zone, it's a clear path. And suddenly, for the first time, victory is in sight because for the first time you have broken through the opposition. Another way of saying it might be this. Imagine you are on a desert island. You're starving and you've spelled out SOS on the sand in big rocks and driftwood and a plane has flown overhead. A plane has gone over and you've been yelling and you've been waving and you're, maybe you've grabbed your palm branches and you're waving them saying, yo, we're here. And it's that moment when the plane, it passes over, but then it turns around. That's the Hosanna moment of I'm still 
knee deep in sand with rags on and a volleyball with a red handprint stamped on it. But actually I've just seen for the first time the means of my salvation has shown its face. One of my favorite, let me give you, let me give you a third way of saying it. Just to get this in, the tension of this moment. Um, now, I don't know if you were watching golf in 2005. I wasn't, but YouTube exists, which is why you don't need to watch golf live. You can just YouTube all the good parts, all the good shots. Golf's one of the most tediously boring sports right up there with baseball. Um, I know people are going crazy right now, so hit me up in the comments if you disagree, but I'm just putting it out there. But golf, like baseball, they have these incredible moments because it's a difficult sport, even if it's not fun to watch. But there's this moment in the 2005 Masters with our boy Tiger Woods. Um, it's on the 16th hole, I'm telling you, go on YouTube later. Not now, but later. And you search for 2005 Masters Tiger Woods, and you're going to see one of the most incredible sporting moments. And it's this shot that Tiger Woods makes. And for me, it, it it, it just really shows this Hosanna moment and the tension of it. It's this moment he has a shot, he's off the green, um, and the green is slightly up a hill, so he's going to have to chip the ball up onto the green. And the green has a break in it down to the, down to the right, and so he's going he's to try and aim his shot up to the left with the hopes that it will roll. He can chip it up and hope that it rolls down and gets somewhere near the hole. This is a famous shot, so you might have seen it before. But it's this incredible moment. It's Tiger Woods. He chips the ball. It takes a long time to line up the shot, and he chips the ball. And it lands roughly on the green. You're like, okay, that's okay. And it starts, basically makes a full 90-degree turn and starts to roll down the break toward the hole. And you can hear in this moment, the crowd is like dead silent. And then as the ball starts to turn toward the hole, the crowd starts to murmur and that you start to hear, it's like hope starting to rise in this moment. And the ball starts to roll towards the hole, but it's losing speed as it goes through the grass all the way. And it starts to roll and it's getting closer and closer to the hole. And this incredible shot is starting to unfold before your eyes, but the ball isn't in the hole yet. And the ball goes right up to the edge of the hole. And the ball stops on the edge of the hole with part of the ball going over, just going over this little cliff, over the, over the lip of the edge, and the ball stops. And I kid you not, the ball literally pauses for about three seconds on the edge of the hole, and everybody with bated breath is there. And then people start to like cheer this like, this like encouragement of, um, it's happening. And then you start to see after like three seconds of pause, the ball starts to tip and sinks into the hole and everybody goes nuts. And when everybody goes nuts, that's a hallelujah moment. But the moment when the ball is on the precipice, when it is perched on the edge and it hasn't gone over yet, but everybody there senses, oh my goodness, it's going to fall in. That is the Hosanna moment of this tension between everything isn't perfect yet. The victory hasn't come yet. Everything isn't perfect yet. I haven't been saved yet. Oh, 
but for the first time, the Savior's here. He's actually here. This is a Hosanna moment. It is thanksgiving and praise in the midst of everything isn't okay yet. Of we're still under a rock, occupying Roman force. We're still living life in, in servitude to this conquering nation. But the Savior is coming through town on the back of a donkey. And I'm seeing the prophecies that I've read as a child being unfolded before my eyes. This is a Hosanna moment. Now, I told you earlier I was going to tell you about my first heartbreak. Um, when I was 14, I got my first real girlfriend. I started dating this girl named Sarah. And that might not be her real name, but, you know, I got to give her some kind of name. I was dating Sarah. And I was in love with Sarah because Sarah was obviously going to be my future wife at 14. I felt like... I found the one. I mean, this is this girl likes me. Therefore, that's all I need. This is going to be the one. A marriage. I'm looking 20 years in the future. All my hopes and dreams are in this relationship. I'm over the moon with this girl who actually likes me for the first time in my life. I'm getting the validation of someone else in the world likes me. And we start dating. And in less than two weeks, she breaks up with me and my hopes and dreams come crashing down to the ground in one quick moment messaged over uh, Microsoft Messenger. 2004, what's up? The days when you get broken up to while sitting at the desktop computer that your whole family shares and you're sitting in the living room being broken up with, these are great moments um, that uh, the current generation they don't get. Um, it was the most soul-crushing experience I had ever had at that point in my life. And I remember, I don't know if you know the story of Job in the Bible. It's a great big book, um, kind of right in the middle of the Bible. And uh, it's a famous story of this guy, Job, and his whole life gets like ripped from him. Um, and it's, it's credited to his righteousness that he doesn't curse God. He actually um, still shows favor toward the Lord, even though his life gets ripped apart. And he has that, uh, he has three messengers come into him one after another. And one comes in and is like, yo, all your cattle have been killed by ravaging marauders. And he's like, no, he loses it. And then a next messenger comes in and goes, hey, all your kids were at a house party and a whirlwind or an earthquake blew through and the walls collapsed and all your children have died. And Job's like, no. And then finally a guy comes in and is like, yo, Straight up, all your sheep have just set on fire. And that's the final straw for Job. And he loses it and he weeps and he rips his hair out and he tears his clothes. And then he says, God, you're blessed. I bless you. You give and you take away. And I still worship you. It's this incredible moment. And I remember at 14 years old, distinct memory of laying in my bed, staring at the ceiling, Walkman, like disc player, on my belly, ear, headphones over my ears, laying in bed listening to emo music saying, God, though my happiness and joy has been ripped away, just like Job, God, I will not curse you. That actually, God, I will, I will not curse you even though you've done this to me, even though you've, you've hurt me so badly by allowing this to happen. I was like, God, I will not curse you just like Job. I thought I was so righteous. Um, I was really just melodramatic. There's this thing, when I was 14, right, you would listen, if you're sad, 
You'd listen to emo music to make you more sad. I don't know if you, if, if who I'm talking to, if you guys experienced this. Of I used to have these playlists. I used to have these CDs. Um, I remember having like the iPod Nano with playlists of like emo music. I'm talking Dashboard Confessional, Jimmy Eat World, Death Cab for Cutie, All American Rejects, the Taking Back Sunday. These bands that have these like uber melodramatic emotional music that yo when you're sad that's what you go to working with the youth i i, I was talking about this I was like i was playing them some emo music on a road trip to a conference or a retreat sometime i was like yo this is the music i used to listen to when i was your age they were like yo this is so depressing and i'm like yes that's like that's what you listen to when you're sad is depressing music and all the youth go no, when you're sad, you listen to happy music to make yourself feel better. And I'm like, not in 2004 we didn't, okay? 2004, you put on a sad song to feel more sad. You want to wallow in your misery and self-pity like a pig wallows in muck. I mean, that was like, that was me at 14, like melodramatic, over-emotional. I used to, um, <laughs> the song, I literally remember this. Dating Sarah, she breaks up with me, I'm laid in bed, and the song that I'm listening to when I'm telling God I won't curse him, I was listening to a song called Swing Swing by uh, All American Rejects. Um, these are the lyrics, right? This is the kind of stuff you gotta listen to to get your heart in that place of real sorrow when you're 14 years old. This is the lyrics. It says, days swiftly come and go, I'm dreaming of her. She's seeing other guys emotions they stir the sun is gone the nights are long and i am left while the tears fall did you think that i would cry on the phone do you know what it feels like being alone like this is me 14 years old suffering the most suffering I've ever felt and feeling it deeply. Um, and I, I look back and it, it, that story makes me laugh, but the pain was real at the time. So the moment back then, that was the most pain I'd ever felt. A blessed life up until 14 years old. It's the most pain I'd ever experienced. And my concept of righteousness was, and my concept of my relationship with God was that when life was hard, the best I could do was passively, passive, aggressively blame God, but not curse him. Like this, like, hey God, I know you've done this to me and I won't even blame you for ruining my life. God, I won't even blame you for tearing my heart out and smashing it into a million pieces. I like thought that was righteousness to be passive aggressive and blame God without blaming him, you know? I had no concept for actually in my pain and in my hurt and in my genuine tears that were falling down my face, that God was actually supposed to be the source of hope and light when I'm in my darkest depths and my deepest darks. That actually in my pain and brokenness, righteousness isn't going, God, I won't blame you. Righteousness is going, God, I'm hurting. Let me turn towards you because I know that, God, you are the source of light in my life when life feels dark. And the thing about, thing about getting your heart broken at 14, what I didn't know back then was that I would feel worse and deeper pains than that. The deepest pain I've ever felt isn't still having my heart broken at 14 years old. 
and maybe it's the same for you. Maybe you got your heart broken at 14 like me. You may be earlier, maybe later. But maybe way worse things have happened to you than early teen romances not working out. Maybe it's been this year that actually the suffering and the pain of life has hit harder. Maybe it wasn't this year. Maybe this year has been not too bad for you, but previous years have held amounts of pain that were significant and those wounds still hurt. This year though, especially we've seen some stuff go down. Maybe you're sitting there watching this dealing with the pain of a worldwide trauma that is happening. Maybe with a collapsing economy, you found that you had collapsing dreams and hopes. Maybe you were an entrepreneur and the ideas you had swimming got crushed. Maybe this year you've had where you're calling in over Zoom to funerals of loved ones. Maybe for some of us, it's been saying goodbye to people for the last time over the flipping phone. Maybe it's looking at someone through glass. Maybe it's the pain of watching your kids who are, I have little kids and that watching them try and navigate school online and not getting to go outside and play. Life has been hard this year and there has been significant pain felt by significant numbers of us. And maybe the, the pain of a breakup at 14 pales in comparison to some of the suffering that has happened. And I'm not saying that all of life is doom and gloom. I'm just saying that there is moments and there are seasons that are hard in life. We live in a kingdom that is broken. We live in a creation that is hurting and groaning. And maybe that is more than real for you. And I think that in moments like this and seasons like this, the seasons where you feel those wounds opening up, words like hallelujah feel like a far distance from your lips. Concepts like popping champagne bottles and celebrating feel really far because all the biggest celebrations this year you had to zoom into. You, we missed graduations and weddings and even the celebrations of life have felt like they've been put into a vice. And hallelujah feels a million miles away, which is why we have Hosanna. Because Hosanna is a different kind of praise. Hosanna is the kind of praise and thanksgiving that happens when everything isn't okay. When you're stuck in the tension of life hurts right now, but there is something better. That you have these, these Jewish people in this moment, in this story in Matthew 21, as Jesus comes in, they are in a moment as a nation, they are hurting as a people, they are suffering, they are going through the one after another, the history of the Jewish people is trials and tribulations and being conquered and exiled and as a people going through slavery and all these awful things. And here they are in a moment of suffering in the season of Passover where they're remembering some of the biggest suffering they've ever had. Decades and centuries of slavery and oppression and exiles and conquering armies and all these awful things 
over their lives and then they see Jesus riding in and for the first time in their lives they dare to hope and they dare to dream that things might actually get better one day and the same then is true for you and me that I can imagine I can imagine for these Jewish people as they're gathering around and snapping off their palm branches to wave and laying down their coats and looking at the man that they know is going to be their savior that maybe they have some of the prophecies of their scripture in their minds maybe that the prophecies they've heard over years of going to temple they're seeing them come true and when they see Jesus come through they're seeing him ride on a donkey and they're seeing the man become the answer to all their prayers I imagine maybe they've got passages like Isaiah 42 running through their head it's this beautiful passage, this beautiful prophecy where Isaiah, yeah, God is speaking and he's, and he's talking about Jesus. And then he talks directly to Jesus, saying what Jesus is going to do. He says this in Isaiah 42. He says, verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is what I imagine the Jewish people seeing as Jesus comes through their city. They go, the Savior is finally here, the one who's going to bring sight to the blind and set free those who are captives. And he's going to bring light to those who are in darkness. This man is doing something new. And although our circumstances haven't changed yet, we have praise because the Savior is here that in our darkest moment we were not abandoned God was not far away he did not forget us but he came close so that on the darkest days we can see that the old things are passing away and a new thing is bursting forth Jesus becomes the representation and the means by which a new creation and a new kingdom is going to burst forth in the midst of this broken one. That life isn't perfect. I don't know if you've noticed. That no, it's not all doom and gloom. Some parts of life are beautiful and wonderful and such a gift. And other parts are broken and hard and difficult and painful. And in those moments, we get to remember that a new creation, that through Jesus, a new kingdom is bursting forth in the midst of this broken one. That in the midst of all the brokenness, life is breaking through. Picture, if you will, like concrete, like a crack in concrete, but a plant is starting to grow. That something new is happening in the middle of the old. That something beautiful is happening in the middle of the ugliness and something hopeful is happening in the middle of the darkness. That's what I imagine the Jewish people feeling and it's what we can feel too. 
that maybe you are in the darkest hour of your darkest day of the darkest season. But there is a new thing happening that is bursting forth, that is springing forth, where the captives are going to be set free and light is going to come to those in darkness and the blind will see that Jesus is riding in on a donkey and everything hasn't been reconciled yet. Everything hasn't been put back together yet. But it is happening that we get to go, I'm not healed yet, but I can still say Hosanna because I can see that it's happening. That maybe all the pieces aren't put back together yet, but I can still say Hosanna because I can see that it's happening. That everything hasn't been reconciled and maybe I don't feel free yet, but I can say Hosanna because I see that it is happening. This is the light for us. It's the thanksgiving in the middle of the suffering that even in the pain, even in the pain, we can see that the Savior is here. And for that, we can always say, Hosanna. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you. I just thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus, riding in on a donkey, a servant king, bringing in a new kingdom. And in this new kingdom, things will be better. In this new kingdom, we get to say Hosanna in this already not yet in the tension that we live in. We get to still give you praise because we can see that light is breaking through. Life is breaking through. And so, Jesus, we thank you for coming in on Palm Sunday, for dying that week on the cross and for raising from the dead so that one day we can have a mighty hallelujah. And so, God, we cling to you with the word Hosanna, the praise that is on our lips this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.